Mindanao, you know, the 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 very famous Mindanao, where everyone was, uh, everyone goes to, and they're trying to look for pictures of war and despair. Her story is the personification of how you end armed conflict and, to an extent, terrorism. Welcome back to the Grid Magazine podcast, stories of adventure and travel in the Philippines. In today's episode, we are going to concentrate on a region of the Philippines, Mindanao, that holds some fascination for us because we believe at Grid Magazine that in Mindanao there are some amazing stories of travel, of travelers, and of people, of culture, um, of heritage that we'd love to tell. But Mindanao is a place, sadly, that is known more in the news and in the headlines for conflict. And we're going to be speaking to Jessus Nar and Martin San Diego, two photojournalists who have been recently working in that area, uh, so that they can talk to us a little bit about the images they're making of conflict, of recovery, um, in a very complicated part of the country. The podcast is really inspired by a question and answer interview that our writer, Fraulein Econar, has done with Martin and Jess, and it appears in the current issue of Grid Magazine. So if you'd like to pick that up and see some of the photographs that we're going to be talking about, um, you can head on over to gridmagazine.ph. Some of the topics that are going to be discussed here um, aren't easy to talk about. This is uh, obviously about a place that has suffered greatly throughout throughout the years, but also we believe holds a lot of stories of hope as Martin San Diego's photographs and photo essay um, show. So here is Fraulein Econar uh, explaining a little bit about the beginning of this story on Martin San Diego and Jess's Nar. I pitched this pair of Q&As about um, photographers who have worked extensively in Mindanao, um, mostly because I was thinking a lot about the history of the region while I was finishing up my thesis. And it just really occurred to me that, you know, I don't think there really has been, um, I don't think we've looked critically enough into how Mindanao is covered as a region. And that was sort of the inspiration for, you know, for those two Q&As. And Justice Nar is, um, he's one of the preeminent photographers working in the Philippines right now. He's done work for, you know, the New York Times. Um, he, he started traveling there back in 2008 and their work doesn't feel like parachute journalism. And that's why I spoke to them specifically, because they've really taken the time to learn about the people that they're photographing, the issues that they're photographing, which is you know, why I'm excited for like, these two interviews to come out. For those who m- might be listening from outside the Philippines and might not know uh, where Mindanao is and what, what we're talking about when we say Mindanao, because it's a very loaded term for a Filipino. Uh, give me a little bit of background about where Mindanao is and, and what Mindanao has become. 
So Mindanao is the southernmost um, island in the Philippines, southernmost major region, I guess. So there's Luzon, Visayas, Mindanao. And Mindanao shares a very distinct history from the rest of the Philippines because, you know, in the 14th century, Islam arrived. And so by the time that by the time the Spanish arrived in the 16th century, there was already an established, you know, culture in Mindanao. There were already sultanates. Um, and, you know, when the Spanish arrived, they really weren't able to make any major inroads into the region. Fast forward to... Um, 1898, when uh, the U.S. won the Spanish-American War and, uh, you know, the Philippines became a colony of the U.S., the U.S. annexed Mindanao. So it that was really like the first official instance of Mindanao becoming a part of the rest of the Philippines. Um, although, like, despite the fact that, you know, it had nothing to do with the rest of the Philippines, or at least culturally, it was just so different. And... So there was really this feeling like that that was like the seed of that injustice, you know, just being all one all of a sudden, you know, you're you're finding yourself under a government that you never like signed up for. The conflict happening in Mindanao is one of the longest running conflicts in the world, stretching all the way back from the 16th century. The US implemented a number of policies that further marginalized the Moros. Moro is the term for the... Moro is what the Spanish called the inhabitants of... The Muslim inhabitants of Mindanao. Um, because, because they were Muslim and it reminded them of the Moors who they met in the Iberian Peninsula. Apart from the fact that during Spanish colonization, the Moros were demonized by the Spanish when they were trying to Christianize the country. Apart from that, when the U.S. came, they further marginalized the Moros when, like, when they implemented a number of policies that invited Northerners to come to Mindanao for, you know, and like gave them lands, for example. And so, you know, as a like, the Moro didn't really have a culture of owning land, and so when and so like there are all these things about this history now that I understand. Like when people talk about. You know, when, when people talk about getting their land back, like I now understand what that actually means. And now I understand that that is a pain, that is a source of hurt that is at least 100 years old. Yeah, I'm Jess. I've been a photographer, well, photojournalist rather. Um, I've been shooting for about 14 years, I guess. Uh, I haven't really uh, uh, tracked how many years I've been doing this because I'm surely is enjoying what I'm what I am doing. I am uh, shooting under contract for the New York Times and uh, getting images. Now, just you, you weren't born all of a sudden ready to be, you know, a documentary photographer flying into these hazard zones. You started your creative career uh, in a very different way. You started behind a desk. Yep. Well, I used to paint before that. You know, I used to uh, do exhibits, paint. Uh, I, I do paintings, do exhibits, and then uh, ventured into advertising because, well, that's where the money is. You know. And then I got bored. I got bored sitting in front of my desk. 
and decided to be a photographer, you know, and it was history after that. <laughs> well, lucky, lucky for us, actually, that you decided to do that. But oh, thank I, you. It, the, it's a, it's a, it's a long road to become a photographer, especially a documentary photographer. But I remember one of the images or one of the set of images I first saw from you, and it was in an email, was from your project Under the Lord's Shadow, which yeah. was a, a very deep dive and a very long-term project looking at Mindanao. And mm -hmm. I remember what shocked me the most about this set of images was the intimacy of the, of the photographs and you were covering Mindanao in a way that's rarely seen where you're with farmers, you're out in fields, um, not necessarily photographing the conflict itself, but photographing the people who are trapped in between uh, the conflicts. Tell me a little bit more about this, this incredible body of work called under the Lord's shadow. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, you know, me going to Mindanao, well, for the first time, I mean, not, not really the first time, but, you know, for the first time to shoot there uh, specifically was, uh, you know, under, uh, well, how would I say this? It, it, it was it was for the wrong reasons at first. <laughs> it was so funny, you know, because I was, I was working, uh, that time I was still working for uh, the French news agency, Agence France Press. This was in 2008. Uh, 2009, uh, the war broke out. Another war broke out in Mindanao uh, between uh, the more Islamic Liberation Front and the government forces. And of course, you know, any young photojournalist shooting, you know, uh, press conferences, protests every day would definitely want to go out and shoot wars. You know, everybody wants to shoot conflicts. I mean, most of the photographers I know, you know, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I want to shoot war. I want to shoot conflicts. I want to shoot, I want to be a conflict photographer. So I was one of those. I was one of those. I was those, I was one of those cocky photographers, you know, who want to have a taste of war because one, it's, you know, we feel, we thought it was sexy. You know, the photographs, you know, would be, really, really sexy. The sex, the, the story is going to be, you know, very different from what we were doing every day. So I asked my boss, Romy Gakad, if I can go there, I asked him, Hey, sir, um, war is, uh, breaking out in Mindanao. Can I go? He said right there and then I said, no. <laughs> okay. So, you know, uh, out went my uh, my dream of being a conflict photographer, but it didn't stop there. Well, he told me uh, it's too dangerous. You still you still don't have training, and we have a stringers over there, so yeah, there's no use of me going there. Okay, yeah, what can I do? But what I did is, what I did was, the next day. I, I did the, you know, I really did a lot of thinking about it. Next day, I bought a plane ticket and I packed my stuff, you know, packed my bags and went straight to the airport and never looked back. I told myself, I want, if I want to be a, a conflict photographer, I should do this, you know, 
even if my boss says no. So I went. I went to Mindanao. Um, um, I went straight to um, Maguindanao and that Datupiang in Maguindanao. That is where the the heart of the conflict is. I remember hitching a ride uh, in a truck. It, it it was a delivery truck, uh, a rice delivery truck. I um, I uh, stopped at the highway and asked if he was going to Maguindanao, and he said yes. And I said cool. If I and ask if I can ride with him, so you know, I was there. You know, in a few hours, in just two hours, I was there, right there, right in the middle of Mindanao. You know, the 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 very famous Mindanao, where everyone was, uh, everyone goes to, and they're trying to look for pictures of war and despair, and uh, you know, things like that, but. The thing that's, that that struck me after, you know, spending days there in Mindanao, uh, my first few days was that I didn't I didn't actually saw uh, soldiers uh, exchanging um, you know exchanging bullets. What I saw was there was you know every day there was this enormous number of people growing every day. And they were IDPs. They were, you know, what we call the internally displaced people. And no one were doing a story about them. You know, actually, this was the time when, when, um, when the IDPs in Mindanao grew to a very, you know, a, a very large number, where the UN already placed them as, you know, that that was the biggest single displacement ever. Not only in the Philippines, but you know, in the world, I think there was like more than a million people displaced because of that war. So, so yeah, so you know, I mean, my um, my interest, you know, uh, right there and then, my interest changed because I saw, you know, who cares about? I thought I said to myself, who cares about you know pictures of. Uh, Men, you know, these uh, soldiers exchanging bullets. I just, I, I told myself, I mean, th- this is the story right here. I mean, people suffering, people, you know, being displaced from their home and their lands and their farms, and you know, uh, getting sick in, in 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 evacuation centers. And yet, it, it's interesting because year, years after that, uh, one of your most famous images, uh, which made the cover of Time magazine. Was exactly that it was a, a pair of government soldiers holding their guns, mm-hmm. probably exchanging gunfire with yeah. the the rebels who'd taken the city. Uh, tell tell me about that moment uh, when when you because again, as you often are able to do, you're first in to a lot of places. Yeah, um, that was I think that was the second day of the siege in in Marawi. I was pretty lucky, you know. Um, that that particular picture was uh, right in the front lines, when the front lines were still, you know, uh, still very accessible. I literally just walked into it. So I was uh, I was with two other photographers, uh, Bobby Lagsa and Erwin uh, uh, Mascarinias. Uh, they were local photographers there in Mindanao, 
and yeah, well, I was, I was, uh, we we were we were held down uh, at a checkpoint uh, at, at at the entrance of the city and said, you know, we cannot cannot go through because firefight is still ongoing and we were held held up there for hours like two hours i guess and you know i just decided hey man i mean there's nothing happening here i mean we're not going to be able to do our jobs here so you know i just decided to walk i walked down the street and the policemen who were manning the checkpoint didn't even bother to uh, stop us well because you know they cannot they they, they won't even try to uh to uh, to run and stop us because the uh, firefight was uh, still ongoing, and of course you know they they don't want to to catch a bullet. So you know, but we just walked. Yeah, right, we just walked and walked and walked and walked, walked down near the river, uh, through the streets, and then we saw these um, you know we saw some movements and we saw. Uh, some of these scout rangers, they were flanking, uh, trying to flank uh, a road, and we were, uh, and we were trying to know what they were doing. So we moved in closer, and then we found out that you know, the the enemy position was just near. And after a few minutes, a firefight uh, broke out again, and we were pinned down there for 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 hours. And then we realized, man, we were actually right in the middle of it. I mean, this is already the front line. And we, we were with the scout rangers who were actually the, the tip of the spear during the fight there. So meaning, you know, it was really the front front. Uh, but, you know, there was no time to, to think about that. I mean, the only uh, things that you're going to be thinking is how to, you know, how to do your job. And how to get out of there alive, you know? Of course, you know. Of course, I was scared. You know, who wouldn't be? I mean, man, it's it's a matter of life and death. But being scared is actually very important because that means if you're afraid, if you're afraid, you're gonna be afraid to do something stupid, and uh, not doing something stupid is gonna keep you alive. So, you know, it's pretty normal. I mean. Come on, man. I mean, those who are going to be, those who are doing there, saying that, you know, I am man, I'm not afraid of doing this. Well, most of the time, they're, they're the ones who, who would end up dead. Anyway, yeah, so there was, I mean, the, the image of these two soldiers holding their guns. I mean, the other one is holding his gun, and uh, he was trying to peep uh, through a window and opening and look at the position of where the their enemies are and the other one is like really like staring um in space probably uh because of fatigue because he knew that you know what we were in was it, it was very dangerous the, the 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 dangers was very imminent and we were being fired upon so it's very normal. It's very human. You know, he's just showing his uh, the, the human side of war, which uh, really made it a picture. And this is something that we brought up in our first Q&A, I feel. But how do you feel about the constant, I think, 
imagery and messaging that we're getting when we speak of um, Mindanao, but also now increasingly the Philippines, because you know, because there's um, there's a strong narrative that's running through. Like for example, when you talk about the Philippines to foreigners, they're like, "Oh, Duterte, oh, drug war, oh, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. When you talk about Mindanao, there's a strong conflict. Oh, there's a strong narrative of conflict, etc. How do you um, how do you combat that as an image maker, but also like how do you feel about uh, how do you feel about like the the monolithic um, idea that people have of these places? Good question. Well, one, we really have to take it as it is. I mean, we, we really cannot deny that Mindanao has been a, a place of conflict through the years. Well, not only that. I mean, if it, it has been since the place is very rich and very beautiful, and you know, really under siege from so many uh, forces that, that has tried to occupy it. You had Spain, you had the, the U.S., you have, you know, uh, Japanese, and so many, even, you know, our, even our local government and even, you know, the, the oligarchs here are trying to get hold of Mindanao because it's very rich in natural resources. You have, you know, timber, forests, minerals, you have, you know, a large swath of land. But at the same time, you know, I mean, Mindanao is not only about that. I mean, there's also, it is also one thing to, to report about, you know, the contexts of why these things are happening, you know, why uh, people are revolting against the system, against the government, and against the, you know, the discrimination that they're getting there. We have been getting... You know, since I was growing up, uh, and it, everything that's coming from Mindanao, I mean, the images, the reports, the stories were all about Muslims versus Christians. But as I have, as we have all find out, found out, and I have found out when I went there, is that that was not really the case. I mean, the story was all about people asking for justice. You know. There are many, so many injustices that that, that are uh, being done there in Mindanao that people are really trying to revolt. And uh, that is, you know, those stories are not really being told to us. We only know Mindanao as, you know, a place of, you know, bombs, bullets, uh, killings, massacres, and all these. But the context really is, you know, still hidden. I think I think the task for all of us, or for for us who who wants to go there and do stories of Mindanao, is to not you know to not uh, just see what's on the what's on the surface and not uh, romanticize the place as a place of of conflict, but rather you know to show people or to make people understand why these conflicts happen, you know why these conflicts started in the first place well of course i mean mindanao is not not only a place of conflict but it's it is also a place of rich deep and uh, you know uh, very vibrant cultures among its uh, you know inhabitants and and the influences there are, can can be seen up to you know up to where we are now 
And uh, the stories, uh, there are so many stories that, that needs to be told. I mean, individual stories of people, you know, people with names, with faces. They're not, they're not just, I mean, we have to realize that they're not just statistics. The last time, the last time I was there, I mean, I was really struck by this uh, uh, MILF commander that I was speaking with, uh, saying that, no, I mean, the, the war wasn't really about, you know, the land. The war wasn't really about our religion. He told me, I mean, the war was actually about justice. They just want justice. You know, there were so many, I mean, countless injustices that were done uh, to these people. This is not usually the territory that Grid Magazine covers. I mean, let's face it, this is a very political, uh, very socially, incredibly socially complicated story to tell. So how is this relevant to travel? If we're talking about conflict zones, it seems to be, well, in direct conflict with the idea of the travel industry. For me, at least, um the importance lies in context. Like, this is all history that I was not fully aware of until very recently when I, you know, when I took it upon myself to, like, really do the work and look into it myself. But um, the schools have failed us. Like, this is not something in our... We don't know why... I, I, a majority of Filipinos outside of Mindanao, they don't understand why... Um, why these issues exist for me the the joy of um like discussing things like this is looking re- really looking into context like i now for example when i travel to um when i travel to marawi whenever that'll happen um i can understand what i'm looking at more than, more than san diego is a photographer who has done a lot of work in Mindanao. I believe he started um, working in Marawi and then Basilan um, as a like as a as a requirement to fulfill his masters in Ateneo, and that really took him on a journey to learn more about the country, learn learn more about the um, roots of conflict in Mindanao, and really look at like really look at the issues there through a not just a critical lens, but also through a very um, sensitive lens, which I really respect about his work. Uh, so I'm Martin Sandiego. I'm a documentary photographer based in Manila. I actually graduated computer science, but I decided to pursue journalism around 2017 full-time. Uh, not, not full-time, but more more journalism. Uh, Martin, you're... you're uh... You're an alumni of of Grid of the Open Call, and I believe you were. Oh yeah, in 2015, yes. I believe you were in the same Open Call as Froline, right? Yeah, Froline was the chosen kid. Yeah, yeah, she was. <laughs> Froline is a little bit of a rock star, as far as we're concerned at at, at Grid. But you also were part of uh, the travel series. The travel series, yes. In La Union. Who was your mentor? Uh, Migna. Ah, you were with our in-house fantastic food photographer, Miguel Nacanceno. <laughs> your, your series of images um, 
The Doctor Healing the Wounds of War, which was published by Rappler, uh, follows the story of Mama Doc. And this is the complete opposite side of the story of Mindanao, which is after the conflict is done. Uh, someone should be going in there to tell the story of recovery and to tell the story of how the population is working through trauma. And and that's what, what that's what you're doing. So it, it, tell me a little bit about this, this fantastic photo essay that you've been working on. I met this doctor, Doc, Dr. Arlene Jawad Jumawas, in 2015 with the same NGO I, made, I mentioned earlier. I met her in Shargao, actually. And my friends and I remember her for this doctor that said, the day won't end in Basilan without a gunshot. In 2018, she invited us uh, to Basilan. We didn't know what she was doing, but all, all we knew was, oh, there's a festival for kids. So I signed up for it. Uh, it wasn't a paid work. It was just, I just was curious to see it because I was, at that time, I, I was still researching for my Marawi work. I was still curious. So. And then I saw this festival where there are kids. So I didn't quite understand what was happening yet. But I just, so I just took photos and submitted it to Rappler. Hey, happy kids from Basiglan. And then in 2019, I called Mama Doc again to ask. I just had this thought in mind. That, Wait a minute. Maybe she is the reason why Basiglan is peaceful. Why? Maybe she's the reason why Basiglan is an outlier in terms of conflict resolution in the region. So I called her to ask that very question. Dr. Arlene, ikaw ba yung dahilan kaya peaceful sa Basilan? I literally asked her that question. And in 30-minute conversation, she, she said yes. I, think, I thought, wow, what an interesting story. So I decided to go there in October of 2019. I stayed in Basilan for a week. I followed her around. I came to understood how she was able to heal a broken island. So to, to our listeners, so Basilan is famous for kidnappings. Uh, 2002, I, I believe. Basilan was a counter-strike mission map. In that map, you will rescue three German hostages. Uh, Basilan was that notorious for kidnapping. It, it made it made its way to Counter-Strike. So there are three rebel groups operating in the region, in the island, though the two are already with peace deals with the government. But the last one, the Abu Sayyaf group, is still, still active. So Mama Doc runs a clinic in Basilan. So there in her clinic, children come, rebels come to get treatment, sometimes for free. Since 1995, since she started her clinic, she listens to their stories every day. And then she just met these traumatized kids. And then she decided, hey, I want to play with the kids of Basilan. And then they went to camps of the rebel groups. They made therapy. They held therapies for children. They gave toys and slowly... Her activities made the parents, the fathers, who were rebels, who were fighters, who were active fighters. Uh, she, she showed them of a different reality, of a different possibility. That, that she, she basically showed them love as opposed to how the government has been treating their communities. 
basically government will only visit their communities when they're they're chasing after targets after rebels so she gave them the opposite and she kind of literally healed the whole island with what she's doing it and it's it's a long very long story to tell i'm sorry it's so much words but i'm her story is the personification of how you end armed conflict it, it's it's that simple she is the personification of how you end armed conflict and to an extent terrorism and what is it what does it feel like uh martin for for someone like you who not so long ago was stuck on a desk uh in a in a computer virus company <laughs> saying I, i i don't want to do this what what does it feel like for someone someone so young and so talented as yourself to be able to say with co- such confidence as you just did look i traveled out to basilan and i found this woman this doctor and you said it with such confidence she is the personification of how you end violence um how do, how does that how does that drive you forward to keep looking for stories like this and why is it important to be able to go out and and find these stories getting to meet these kind of people and getting to be able to tell their stories to the world it makes me happy it makes it gives me a sense of purpose it gives me an extra charge to to look for more that there there's actually solutions there's actually people who have inspiring stories to tell i'm getting tired of the stories that end with pity we have 10,000 orphans and then hey mindanao bombing hey mindanao dead people shooting stories or people like her there are different realities from the ones that we've been accustomed with accustomed to and i think being the person who somehow discovered quote unquote discovered and found these people i think it's my duty or responsibility to tell their stories to get it out speaking of you know because you said something about like quote unquote traveling to these uh, quote unquote dangerous places um and you know we have that perception of Mindanao, right? Like that's not just me. That um, there is this perception that traveling to Mindanao is dangerous in some way, and that to, to some extent, a portion of it is true. But I just wanted to get your, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, is traveling to Mindanao dangerous in the first place? Is that perception warranted, given all you've learned? And where do you think that perception comes from? This perception of danger like i can I, i can name two places that you shouldn't go to <laughs> for the rest of mindanao it's all good i think mindanao is a travelable place uh, it's it's a desirable place to go to it's it's in the way i think the country and in a way the media is run everything in the philippines is run from the manila and everything in the philippines is seen from the lens of people in manila and we rarely hear back from those in in the south so we don't know we get to miss out a lot on a lot of things so uh we don't hear about their festivals we rarely hear about festivals in the muslim majority region but whenever there's a, 
uh, a kidnapping, a bombing, or a gunfight, it's on the headlines. What we do in the Philippine media, we only l- listen to Mindanao when there's an explosion. So, you know, in our last conversation, we talked about how, and even like some mga posts mo on social media, like you talk about how easy it is or how the option to take up arms is always like just at an arm's length for, you know, for the Moro youth. And and I know that you have some thoughts about the Anti-Terrorism Act and I know that and how it connects to that um, impulse to take up arms. Do you mind... Do you mind explaining your take? Uh, the way majority of Filipinos have been criticizing the anti-terror bill is is on the assumption that it will be abused, and it's 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 a valid it's a valid fear, assuming it's it's valid to assume that something will be abused. But we have another valid counter our argument to the law, to the bill, to the proposal, which is in our history. Our history is full of armed conflict in Mindanao, in southern Philippines. We have countless endless, countless armed groups sprouting from that region. Maybe, maybe we can ask why. Maybe we can ask why they started and why are some of them still operating to this day? And with with my work in Mindanao and Southern Philippines, I tried to understand why the youth takes up arms. So I'm sure it's not for the fun of it. It's 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 the discrimination, the lack of economic means, the the long list of historical frustrations they have. And what have you heard from your sources? You know, when when the bill was signed uh, by uh, when the bill was passed in Congress, and when Duterte signed it into law, like have you kept in touch with um, with your sources, and what have they told you about how they felt about this thing? Um, of course, they're sad. I look for one of their one of our conversations just last night. Ito, I shared it in Tagalog. Sabi niya, sabi nung kausap ko, friend ko from Zamboanga. Pag naiisip ko yung mga dating na pagkamalan at pinatay na lang ang bigat sa pakiramdam, ngayon naiisip ko yung posibilidad na dadami pa bukas. Uh, what the Anti-Terror Act tries to do or tries to leg- to put into legal paper has been has been done has been experienced by the muslim communities in the philippines for so long so the, the anti terror law basically it triggers fear from the past especially when the past hasn't healed yet yeah and i think it connects to an earlier point that Paco and I had when you were talking about this interview. Now, you know, we, we, we were thinking about how this political situation um, or even like the COVID crisis could impede on like, what does it mean for travel? What does it mean for reporting on the Philippines? And that's exactly it. As you said, it's, it, 
it prevents us from talking about this particular part of our heritage. It's like a blanket covered over it. Like we can't go there. And so I guess that's the part that's lost. Yeah. And yeah, not just this current situation, but the situation in Mindanao in general for the past hundred of years, they've been, their heritage has been reduced to rebels, Muslim rebels. Para yun eh, yun, yun na yung naging branding nila. Yun na yung heritage nila, rebelde. May gulo, may sumasabog. Pero sayang, ang ganda ng kultura ng Maranao, ng mga tao. So lahat sila, ang ganda ng ng culture. Like, yung neighbor pa lang nila, the the Tibolis, the Blaan, that's, that's the peaceful part. It's already so rich, so colorful. And what more with with the rest of the Muslim Mindanao? It's so rich. And sasayangan ako. Gusto ko rin, sana eventually in time, uh, that's those are the things we will be talking about when we mention Maranao, when we mention Tausog, when we mention Basilan, when we mention Maguindanao. And then, sana in time. You know, I think you've, you've said it right that the one, the one thing that's hard to accept for for me, at least personally as a photographer, is that whenever I have had the chance to go to any part of Mindanao, and I haven't been to to as many places as I'd like, is that you know it is so rich in everything that can make travel and a travel publication amazing. It's rich culturally, the heritage, the arts, the crafts. The landscape is stunning. The people are incredible. And there's such a diversity there. And yet, we don't always have access to it, right? And that, that's what's most frustrating. If we could just get access in a, in a safe way, then we could help tell these other stories that don't necessarily involve only conflict and only violence, because there's so much more there. You know, Martin said something very interesting about, like, towards the end of our interview, he said something very interesting about, like, the limits of our coverage, um, you know, because of the, uh, because of the um, instability of the situation in Sulu, in Marawi, for example, that's a, like, that immediately puts a limit on what we can do in that area. And that means that that automatically inhibits us from talking about those people and their experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that's the value of talking to photographers like Jess and Martin. Fraulein, la- last question. This has been a very, we, we first set out in this podcast to just talk about some brilliant images by some brilliant photographers and there are many in the Philippines. We just happened to choose Jess Aznar and uh, Martin San Diego, who are doing incredible work right now, and incredible work that uh, both speaks to the current situation uh, in, in Mindanao and in the country, and also has a timeless nature about it because it's the story of conflict and healing, um, which is always which is always an important story to tell. But at a certain point, we have 
also spoken about our role as a magazine, our role as writers and photographers, and what we have to do uh, to improve the way we cover we cover Mindanao. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the last word on this. What what is it we should be taking away from this from this interview with Martin and Jess? Honestly, I think part of that is also a recognition of our own blind spots, uh, a recognition of our own limits. Um, you know, we can do so much better in our coverage of the Visayas and of Mindanao. Um, and for me, the reason why uh, I felt like it was important to speak to the two of them is because I, I wanted to hear from people who had actually spent that time engaging with, uh, with a part of the Philippines that we may not have had engaged with that way in the past. When we put together the idea of this interview with Martin, Jess, and Fraulein, we were really interested in talking about the historic context of Mindanao and some of the stories that we don't usually get to see. Now, it's not lost on us at grade that both people we spoke to, Jess, Martin, and even Fro, are not from Mindanao. And so we recognize the fact that sometimes the region and its people is underrepresented in the media, at least in the variety of stories that are told about the region, where it's not just about conflict, it's not just about violence. We are hoping within the pages of the magazine and hopefully through this podcast as well, to speak to people from Mindanao, to photograph them, and to try and tell a more diverse type of story from that part of the country. Thank you for listening to The Grid Magazine podcast. If you'd like to see some of Jess and Martin's work, you can head on over to our Instagram page, Grid Magazine PH, or our website, gridmagazine.ph.